Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. So last weekend, I actually missed two weeks in a row with my North Campus family. I missed them dearly because last week I was out of town. I was on a plane for going to Texas to visit some of my friends. And, and I've been on a fair number of planes in my life, been in airports before. So I was pretty used to it. But there was something that, that went on that I started to actually notice. And I was like, wait, what? Why do we do this? You know, it became clear to me, like, this is a little strange. And, and you probably know what I'm talking about if you've been on a plane before. It's the group boarding process. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, so what, what I've started to, I, I've been on planes and seen it. And what I really started to notice this time was, this is weird. Like, this is just strange to me. Because, I mean, groups one through four, you know, that's for the privileged people. Then five through seven is for the poor people like me. And, and, you know, they don't put you on the plane. This is what's strange. They don't put you on the plane based off where your seat is or how many bags you brought. No, it's just, did you pay a lot of money? All right, yep, that's you. You know, like, did you, did you pay way too much money for a two and a half hour flight to Dallas? Yeah, okay, you're group one. Did you pay a little less money for that two and a half hour flight? Yep, that's group two, and then group three, and then group four. What they, they do is they kind of prioritize it like that. Now, you know, at the beginning, before even group one, they give the chance for active or retired military. That's great, yes, amen, completely on board with that, pun intended. Some of you will get that tomorrow. And, and, you know, that, like, that's great. I love that. But then once they start getting into to groups one through four, I'm like, what's the point of this? And here's, here's what I mean. Because everybody's going to the same place. Everybody's on the same plane. And everybody's going to get there at the same time. So, so what, you know, why, why do we need to, to do it? And what's really strange is when groups one through four get called, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's maybe 20 25 people total out of like the 150 that are getting on the plane. And it's like, you just took for like 20 minutes to board 20 people. Meanwhile, you've got the running of the bulls about to happen when they start to call group five. You know, the lady picks up the phone and there's like this stampede of people like trying to pretend like they're not paying attention, but they're like trying to get to the front, you know, as quick as they can. It's like, man, we're all going to the same place on the same plane and going to get there at the same time. Like, but yes, we got to let Bobby business class. He's got to board first. And the back row Baptist, we're going to be back there at the end. You know, we're, we're last. And so I realized, I was like, this is just strange. But we're in a series on thankfulness. So I need to be sure that I say I'm not complaining. I just think it's weird. Because my seat, it was literally the last row, like next to, to the bathrooms where it stinks. And like literally the very last row, that was me. And, and I, was, I was fine with that. Because what I realized was, it gives no one any advantage to be in the front or in the back. You get there at the same time on the same plane. And, and maybe, you know, I, I've been in the front before. I've actually been in first class before. I know that you get off maybe five to ten minutes earlier. But that's, that's five to ten minutes. Plus, if you really want to get technical, the back wheels touched down first. So me in the back row actually got to Dallas before you did. And you paid way more money. But, you know, that's just, just me getting technical. And so what I, you know, I realized like, this is just strange. And I was thinking about it. And, and I went to Texas, had a good time with my friends. Glad to be back home in North Carolina. But I was really glad that I went on this trip. And I had this weird interaction with the group boarding process while I'm standing there going, what's the deal with this? Because I realized as I sat down on Monday afternoon and I opened up my Bible, I said, all right, God, we're in Psalm 107. What, what does your word have to say to your people this week? I realized 
this is a lot like the group boarding process in an airport. Because if you open up your Bible to Psalm 107, or maybe you're on your, your phone app and you start to scroll and you're like, oh my goodness, this is 43 verses. It could, it could be easy to get lost in how much is there. You could get overwhelmed, but then you're going to realize, wait a minute, all of this has the same theme. It, ha- it has the same destination, if you will. There's just four different groups of people that it's describing. They're all going to the same place, and they're all on the same plane. So they're all going to the same destination via the same exact route. It's just four different groups. That's how we need to think about Psalm 107 this morning. There's four boarding groups, all boarding the same plane to the same place. And so to emphasize that, what I want us to do is start reading at the very end, the very last verse, verse 43, and then we'll jump back and and start at the beginning. So here's verse 43, Psalm 107. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. What this final verse shows us here is that all the things that are previously being mentioned in the other 42 verses that we're about to study, those things, when you consider those, when you, when you see the steadfast love of the Lord, that leads to wisdom. Did you catch that? Whoever is wise let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. What it's saying is, if you want wisdom, which I don't know anybody that doesn't, I'm one of those guys, like, it doesn't matter what it takes to get a little bit of wisdom, that's what I want. But the way to it, the the plane, if you will, maybe the God-ordained path that we see here in verse 43 is, is considering the steadfast love of the Lord. That's how you get wisdom. You consider, you think about the steadfast love of the Lord. We can't conjure up wisdom in our own strength, our own ability. Wisdom is only and always given by God. And one of the ways that God has ordained that his people walk in the wisdom that he gives is through considering the steadfast love of the Lord. And so in Psalm 107, from verse 1 to the end of verse 43, what we're going to see is thanksgiving for the Lord's steadfast love in four types of circumstances or four groups of people. There's going to be four reasons, four ways that we can give thanks this morning. And so what I want us to do is pick up in verse 1 where we're going to get a little background info and then we'll move into these four groups. So let's go to verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. What what these three verses right here are telling us is that the redeemed of the Lord, as we see them called in verse 2, they give thanks to God because he is good. Here in Psalm 107, the writer is giving thanks to God because of his goodness and his loyal, steadfast love in delivering these people out of exile. See, we don't know who is writing this psalm. We don't know who the psalmist is, but we do know when and why it was written. And it was written in this period where God's people had been exiled. They had rebelled against God's word, as we will read later on in in verse 17, or excuse me, in verse 11. And, And so what happens is, These people, they had rebelled. They had decided they didn't want to follow God anymore. They had said, I know what you said to do, but we're going to do something else. And God warned them, if you do that, the the removal of my protection is going to cause other people, other empires to conquer you. And they do it anyways. They do it anyways. They do it anyways. So finally, these people are exiled to this foreign land, taken captive, often in slavery, 
And now what's happening in Psalm 107 is God has saved them. God has come in and redeemed that situation. God has come in and delivered them. And so that's why they're saying in verse 1, 2, and 3, give thanks to the Lord. Let the redeemed, that's why they're using that language, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He's redeemed them from trouble. He's talking about gathering them in, bringing them back home from lands all around the world and bringing them back home to where they belong. So what we're seeing here in Psalm 107 is that the redeemed of the Lord, the people who've been delivered, the exiles in this Hebrew land, give thanks for his steadfast love. And this word steadfast love is going to be used five other times throughout Psalm 107, once in each of these four groups that we're going to see. So I want us to be able to break it down so that we can understand what what we're talking about, the reason for the thanksgiving that not only these people can have, but us as well. It's the Hebrew word hesed, and for the sake of you guys right here in the front, I'm not going to pronounce it correctly because this Hebrew word, it kind of requires a little little something, you know, it's like hesed, and I'm not even going to do it full on because I don't want y'all to get anything I got. And so, the, you know, they, it's that weird word hesed. It's translated mercy or kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It could be translated like we see here, steadfast love. But, but none of these words really are 100% accurate because this Hebrew word, it's so rich, it's so deep that it can't be translated one for one in, into English. This word, it, what it does is it combines love as a feeling with love as action. Love as something that goes on in, in your soul to something that is committed in your life. It's this word, it's used 248 times in the Old Testament. And most often it's talking about God. God even uses it of himself in Exodus chapter 34. He says, when he's telling Moses, hey, this is who I am. He says, I am abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He says, I'm abounding, I'm overflowing, I'm filled with the essence of who I am is hesed, steadfast love. Maybe a more simple way to describe it would be loyal love. Love that does not leave, it's loyal And God displayed this steadfast love in Psalm 107 and all throughout the Bible by redeeming people who needed to be saved. By having people that were in exile that he then delivered. And what I love about this, especially here in verse 1, is that this steadfast love, it endures forever. And so this is not just some, oh great, a Hebrew language little lesson here, or a little Hebrew history lesson. No, this right here, this is our history. This is our story as well. Because this love endures forever. It didn't begin with the Israelites, nor does it stop with the Israelites. It it endures throughout all time. This loyal love of God that, that is most clearly seen when he redeems and he rescues people, that's our story. He redeemed these people and redeemed us even when we didn't deserve it, even when we couldn't earn it, even when we we didn't really need what what we thought he was going to offer. That is what we needed and we didn't know it. We didn't earn it in any way. We didn't clean ourselves up to get there. God is the one that did this. It's all his loyal love. That's the beauty of this word hesed. It's not dependent on you or on me to be worthy of it. It's not earned by us. It's, it's not, okay, we've got to clean ourselves up. We've got to become lovable. No, it's God's loyal love to his people based on God, not on us. 
It's, it's a beautiful idea because as we look at these Israelites in Psalm 107, we realize they were in exile because they had messed up. They had abandoned God. God had not abandoned them. And it's the same in our lives. I mean, we can be explicit with what we know the Israelites did to deserve this. It was sins like adultery, prostitution. They were worshiping other gods. They were even sacrificing their own children to those gods. And we can look at that and go, that's, that's crazy. Why would they do that? They deserved what they got. But their sin is no worse than ours. We do the same exact thing. Maybe not in the same ways, but what we do is we look at the perfect, holy, beautiful God and we say, nah, you know, I, actually, no thanks, God. I, I would rather hate my neighbor because of the color of their skin. Or I would rather just have sex with whomever I want, whenever I want. Or, you know, God, that's great and all, but I'd rather just hoard my possessions and be self-centered and self-indulgent. Or, you know, God, I, 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 that's great, but I'd rather just forget about the widow and the orphan. Or, you know, I'd rather just gorge myself with food or pleasure myself with drunkenness or kill the baby in my womb because I don't want it. I don't care what you said. I don't care who you are. I, it's all about me. I, I'm going to hate my neighbor because of their political party, or I'm going to reject the praise and the fear of God instead about the praise and the fear of man. And so what's so great about this Hesed love is that in the midst of their sin and in the midst of our sin, it was into that sin, that death, that exile that the people had chosen that God's loyal love was sent in the form of a man committed to his father's glory, which he knew, he knew was the good of God's people. Jesus came. He, he didn't count equality that he had with God as something he was going to hold on to, but instead, what did Jesus do? He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, such as the people, the sinners, the exiles could be redeemed and brought back home to their land. He endured the cross so that God's people could return from that exile back home in right relationship with God that they were created for. Man, and if the psalmist here who knew nothing of God's final redemption and rescue of God's people can say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, then how much more can you and I, Christ follower, give thanks, not just give thanks, but shout thank you to the Lord because we've seen it, we've experienced it, we know the plan of God. It's been a testimony in our lives and a testimony in the lives of others around us. We, we know that because God is good, because his loyal, hesed, steadfast love has never less, left us, we have never walked alone. We will never walk alone because this love of God has pushed past our sin, past our captivity, and brought us back home. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so in our lives and the lives of the Israelites. And what's so great, even further, we can just keep going is that not only do we have reason to thank God because we've been brought back, not only do we have reason to thank God because this steadfast love saved us, but as followers of Jesus, we now have the power and the ability to give thanks. Without it, we wouldn't. Without the, the ability, the power that Jesus has given us, we wouldn't have the ability to give thanks. That's why the psalm starts this way. It's reminding the people of God where the reason for thanksgiving lies, but also where the power for thanksgiving lies. So with that in mind, let's, let's move into the rest of our psalm. We're going to see these four groups of exiles who can and should give thanks to the Lord. Starting in, in verse 4 is where the first one's found. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. 
This is the first boarding group of Spirit Airlines, Flight 107, if you will. I think that's hilarious. You guys might not, but it's fine. The first group, they are redeemed, though there is no way to go. Redeemed, though there is no way to go. Look, look at verse 4. It says they're wandering. They they've not only couldn't find a city, but they couldn't even find a way to the city. This is like when you get lost and you don't even know what road you're on or how to get to the road you're supposed to be on. And then verse 5 describes them as it became such a, a, a longing for, for home. They were wanting to find hope in a place that was secure that it began to make them hungry and thirsty. It became a longing such that their soul fainted. Did you see that in verse 5? Their physical need affected them spiritually. Maybe that's you this morning. You feel like you don't have a place to belong. You, you've been searching. You're still searching, trying to fit in with a group, trying to make a home for yourself. You're willing to try anything if it means that you can get right, get in this group, find a place of belonging. And it's become something that affects your soul. You can feel it in your gut. Yet the psalmist says in, in verse 8, he says, let them, these people that feel like that, thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his hesed love. Why? Look at verse 9. I want us to read this. We can't adequately preach all 43 verses, but we have to see verse 9. This is the reason that he gives that these people, this first group, can thank God. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So this people, this first group, if that's you this morning, they can thank God. You and I can thank God because he is the thing we've been searching for. That longing in your soul, that place I've never been able to find home. I've never been able to find a sense of belonging. You find it in God. The treasure hunt's over. And really it's no hunt at all because God found you. We didn't find God. He's been with you from the beginning. He's redeemed you from searching in vain. He's redeemed you from wandering on paths that lead to exile and destruction. He fills those who hunger, those who, who are thirsty, who want satisfaction. He satisfies those who are searching. So because of this loyal, steadfast, hesed love of God, we can be thankful even when there's no way to go because Jesus, the bread of life, has come to fill the hunger of those who are in need, and to satisfy the longing of our soul and our heart. So this next group that we're going to encounter, after the first group, that's found in verse 10. Let's read that together. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Verse 10 gives us a, a hard, difficult description of what this group is like. This is the group that it says they're in darkness. They're in the shadow of death, meaning that they feel close to death. They're even in prison, as verse 10 describes. They're, they're in irons. They're enchained. They're in prison here, and it's dark. They're locked up. And in verse 11 and 10 sort of give us this description that it seems like they're in great distress and great danger because they've rebelled against the word of God. And then finally, verse 12, it sort of hits us with this crushing realization. Look at the end of verse 12. There is none, no one to help. And we've felt this before. We felt trapped 
We felt locked up. We felt like we were in prison either either to a situation or to another person or to a state mentally or to a state spiritually, something that we felt trapped in, locked up in a prison, maybe even of our own making, and we felt like there is none to help. There is no one who can get me out of this. This second group, they have no way out. Yet here again in verse 14 and 15, we've got a deliverer, even though there was no way out. Look at what verse 14 says. It says that he brought them out of darkness. He brought them out of the thing in verse 10 that they sat in. He brought them out of the shadow of death. He broke, he burst their bonds apart, verse 14 says. So, verse 15, they can thank the Lord for his hesed love, his steadfast, loyal love. The second group is redeemed, though there is no way out. Redeemed, though there is no way out. And those things that, that held them captive, they, they've been broken into and, and they've been cast off. And such that now these, look at this, these redeemed exiles. Do you see this great truth in verse 15, or 14 and 15? These redeemed exiles can be thankful when it feels like there's no way out. When in their soul they felt we're trapped, we're locked We're pressed against the wall. There's no way out. They can be thankful because what they do is they recall the former situations where they were enchained, where they they felt like the darkness and the shadow of death had taken over them and they were redeemed. Be thankful in that season and for that season for the redeeming work of the Lord. Now on the way to wisdom, we encounter this third boarding group. Third boarding group on the way to wisdom. It starts in verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. What I think this group is really about is found at the end there of verse 18. It's a direct result of the sin that we see in verse 17. Sometimes our own sin, sometimes just sin that persists and consists in the world, is that we realize this group is a culture that, or a group that our culture is all too familiar with, right? As we, as we start to look at this and start to think about it, we realize there's a lot of people around me, maybe even in our culture that we know that are like this. This group is described as not being able to eat. They loathed all, all types of food. They were close to death. Friends of mine who have struggled with depression, they often describe it similar to this. They say it's like they don't want to eat, They can't even get themselves out of bed in the morning. They feel like they're close to death. Some of these people even seeking out death through suicide because it's so depressing, it's so dark, it feels like there's no way out. Can't even enjoy food. What I think we're encountering here in verse 17 and 18 is this third group of people with spiritual depression, with sin, and with guilt and shame that is just depressing them. It's put them in a place of despair where they feel like that that not only do they have no way out, but they also have no way forward, that they're just backed into a corner and the shame and the guilt that's associated with sin, especially secret sin that no one else knows about, it's debilitating. It weighs people down. It begins to depress even your soul. It's a lack of hope. It's depressing thoughts. It's, It's feelings of despair. This or this third group, is the redeemed, though there is no way forward. Redeemed, though there is no way forward. If you're in this group, or maybe you were in this group, or maybe you will be in this group one day, this is the group where you hear thoughts in your own head about, hey, God can't forgive that. 
God couldn't love you after that. God can't use you. You're useless. You're worthless. Or my own personal one that I've caught in my own head. Yeah, Jesus died for me. Yeah, God forgives me. I believe that. But he does it begrudgingly. He doesn't want to. He's like, Matthew again? Really? That? Maybe you felt that in your own life where you realize that, that uh, the way God feels about me is, yeah, I'll forgive you. Yeah, I guess, again, all right. It's sort of, you feel like a burden to God, like you're weighing God down. But in verse 20, there's a simple cure to this. Look at verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. The antidote for those words in your head, the depressing thoughts, the trapping state of mind, it's the simple cure of the word of God. In dark times, depressing times, there's always a reason to be thankful. And the reason to be thankful is why? Because God has sent his word and his word heals. We have access to that word and his word heals and delivers from destruction. This is the word that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 29 says this. It'll be up on the screen for you. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. This word that heals is the word that comes from Jesus here in Matthew chapter 11, where he says, my heart, who I am, is gentle and lowly. I mean, think about this. When Jesus got a chance to describe his heart, who he is, the essence of him, did he choose justice, righteousness, love, maybe holiness or perfection? Though all those things are true of him, what did he choose? He chose gentle and lowly. But this word that heals, that delivers us from this state and this third group, this darkness, is not that Jesus comes to us full of exasperation going, oh, you're in need again. Here we go again. I guess I'll do this again. But no, Jesus is already there because that's where his heart resides. He is accessible to the lowly. He is gentle. He is humble. He is meek. He says the sin, the suffering, the the shame, the guilt, all those things that you think disqualifies you, That's actually what qualifies you to receive from me. One pastor put it like this. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to to come. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is a gift, not a transaction. His rest is a gift, not a transaction. So in this darkness, in this spiritual depression, we can be thankful because the hesed love, the steadfast, loyal love of God has come near and it has delivered. And it does so joyfully because that is his heart for his people. And last, but certainly not least, we get the fourth and the final boarding group on this plane to wisdom. Let me read you guys verse 23 through 26. We're gonna see this fourth and final group here. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. This final group has been redeemed, though there is no way through. Redeemed, though there is no way through. 
what we read here in these verses are sailors who were in exile, right? They, they had sinned, they had rebelled, they're in exile, just like we talked about at the beginning, and, and they've just kind of settled in, right? Like now they're doing their job, they're sailing. This is the, this, this first verse, verse 23, it's sort of the ancient way of saying they just went to the office. Like they were just doing business, like doing their daily routines, like they usually would do, just like merchants or sailors would do often during this time. They're just doing their normal stuff, their normal routine, normal rhythm. And it was there that we see in verse 24, they saw the wondrous works, the deeds of the Lord. Right, so if we're, if we're here, we're looking for the miraculous, look no further than the mundane daily routine of your life. Because God so often works. He does these wondrous works in the daily stuff in the routines that we think are boring, in the things that we do almost mindlessly. And the way that we see this is what we see in these few verses for this fourth group is that they, they were opening their eyes to understand that God is the one in control. He's the one in control of what we see, what we go through, even the daily mundane, no fun things that we do all the time. Even in the sailing, even in the daily business. Look at verse 25 and 26. It describes these sailors going about their business. And they get caught up in this major storm, right? It says, there was stormy wind. The waves of the sea mounted up to heaven. They towered up over their boat. Well, what you're thinking is these sailors are looking up and these waves are threatening to crash in and destroy them. And these sailors, remember, they're not just deep sea fishing for the first time. This is what they do. They looked up and in verse 26, their courage melted away because the storm was so bad. But we need to see, to understand what it means to open our eyes to see that God is the one in control is what verse 25 says about where the storm came from. Look at verse 25. It says, For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. The redemption, the deliverance, the miracle that we're looking for, it just might be something that's so difficult that we can't believe God would have anything to do with it, but he says, I sent it. It's from my hand. The wind that calmed the storm is the same one that caused the storm, right? And, and to avoid this truth, what this happens is, is we avoid then seeing God in our everyday lives because we wanna try and absolve him of guilt for the difficult things that happen in our lives. But what happens is when we try and do that is we rob him of his glory that he gets in the deliverance from those things. When we try and absolve him of the guilt of the hard things in our life. Look at verse 29. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. See, he made the storm and he made the storm be still. The power that stirred the storm was the same power that stilled the storm. A modern day hymn that I really like is called Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. And it, what it does is in the verses, it asks rhetorical questions and sort of answers them. In the next couple verses in the chorus, it expresses praise to Jesus for being our hope in life and death. And as I listened to it recently, I, I was struck by this and thought of it when I read these verses. One of the verses that asks a question, speaks to this idea. It says, who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ? Saying, who, who sends the things that bring us closer to Jesus? These waves, these storms, these hard things that bring you close to the shore, to the rock of Christ. Who does that? The answer to this verse obviously being God. These people, and we like them, we, we prove over and over that we fail to recognize God in our days. We ignore our need for him. He, he sends people to say, turn, repent. 
that this, this isn't right. Look for me and, and see and turn and, and do what is right. But then we don't and we choose exile. And so what he does is he sends the waves that bring us close to the shore, close to the rock of Christ. And because of his great power, both that caused this storm and calmed the storm, these sailors then were able to thank the Lord for his hesed, steadfast, loyal love. Because this not only showed them God's great power, but because it also, if you look in verse 30, brought them back to where they belong. Verse 30 says that it brought them to their desired haven. This storm, these waves brought them back home. They were thankful. These sailors were thankful. You might never hear a pastor say this again, but I want you to have a mouth like a sailor. Not a sailor that that is using profanity because he's mad, but a sailor that's praising because he's just seen a miracle. He's just been delivered from a storm and it brought him closer to the God who brought it. So it's people who were exiles, who, who have experienced the hesed love of God, who have been redeemed. We can be thankful in all circumstances because we know and we trust that God is in control. When there was no way to go, when when you and I felt lost, we were redeemed. When there was no way out and we felt trapped, we were redeemed. When there was no way forward, darkness seemed to be caving in, we were redeemed. When there was no way through, the waves seemed insurmountably high, we were redeemed. Redeemed. We were brought near by the blood of Christ. And for that, we can be thankful. May we be people who learn, like the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon learned, to kiss the wave that throws us against the rock of ages. He said that he has learned to kiss the wave that throws him against the rock of ages. May you and I be people that learn to love the storm that brings us closer to the God who made us. We give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Bow your head with me as we pray this morning. God, great is your faithfulness. Great is your love that extends from generation to generation. Great is your faithful, loyal love that pursues your people even in their furthest state of exile. God, when we had nowhere to go, you gave us a place to belong. When we had no way out, you saved us. When we had no way forward, you made a way. When we had no way through the storms of life, you sent an anchor we can hold on to and you calm the sea, God, you are our redeemer. So give your redeemed people in this room today the confidence and the courage to say so, not just during this last song, but to be able to go from this place boldly declaring their redemption to a world in need of that same thing. God, now as we turn our gaze to you, as we fix our eyes on you, as we give thanks to you and for your steadfast love, give us thankful hearts. Make us a people who see your greatness and your goodness. We ask these things through faith in our anchor, in our rock, in our redeemer. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.